Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is James. I'm not Patrick. Um, I know many of you. Uh, my name is James Christensen. I'm one of the elders here at Antioch, and we wanted to take the opportunity um, to kind of publicly introduce our interim pastor, Patrick Drury. So, Patrick, would you go ahead and make your way up? Some of you have gotten to meet him over the last couple weeks uh, as he has just been in some of the services, meet his family, and so on. And we just want to take the opportunity, though, to, to publicly announce him. And I was just going to ask him a couple questions to help get to know um, Patrick, but also take some time after the service today. On the other services in January, and as um, he's beginning his ministry here with us, just take time to get to know him. He's an awesome guy. The elder team thought he was just fantastically qualified. Um, he's a fantastic shepherd, and we're really looking forward to having him here with us for however long this pastoral transition will be. So a um, couple of questions for Patrick. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your home life, your family life. Where do you live? Um, what's your family like? And then I think you're mic'd up, right? Do you need this? I think I'm good to go. Yeah. Go. All right. Good to go. Yeah. Thank you, James. Um, hello, Antioch. Nice to meet you as a, as a group today. Uh, my wife and two of my boys are, are here, Kimberly and Joseph and John. And we actually have four boys. Jacob is married and lives in Fargo. And Joshua is married with our two grandkids and lives in... Uh, in Duluth, and so we still live in Becker, Minnesota, which is just under an hour drive from here. So we're thankful that it is under an hour drive and trying to do all the math of like, when do we actually need to leave and what does all that look like? So, uh, but we live in Becker. We've been in Becker for 10 years, and I pastored the Becker Evangelical Free Church for about nine and a half years resigned that position last year in order to do what God has also equipped me to do, and that's to do peacemaking and conciliation work, particularly for Christians in conflict and churches, um, when churches are struggling in conflict. So I go and help them on site to be able to work through different difficulties and differences. And uh, that's a, another calling of the Lord. And Yet it's, it's one that has allowed me to have some freedom, and, and this, is a, this is a great fit. So, Sure. Yeah. So with Patrick, you being part-time here, part-time in the like, church conciliatory, um, mm. helping churches through conflict, things like that, what do you like about, what drew you into the, um, sort of that church conflict resolution role? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, what drew me into it is I was on staff in a church. I served in a church in Iowa as an associate pastor, I was there for 12 years, and during that time, our church went through a church conflict, and I was one of the people involved in it, along with a bunch of others. And it was just amazing to me how we all loved the Lord, we actually all loved each other, and we were all stuck and needed some help. And so um, the Lord brought in some other folks who came in and walked us through what Scripture has to say and how to follow the Lord in it, and we all reconciled, and I'm like, this is amazing stuff, I want to learn more about it. So it really drew me in then, and uh, it's been kind of a t 10, 11 year journey since then of learning and growing and, and feeling a particular calling to help other people. Sure. Working through that as well. Sure. And then for sure, one more question. What about uh, just being a pastor? What excites you about being mm -hmm. a pastor and also just being an interim pastor at Antioch specifically? Yeah. Thanks, James. Um, this right here, my affection and love for the Word of God is just continues to grow, and I feel so privileged to be able to um, just personally read and experience God's Word, but then to be able to teach and share it with you is such a huge blessing to me 
and have a strong sense of calling to do that, and just a love for the people of God and to be able to bring God and His Word together and help people walk and follow Jesus is, is a privilege. So um, I, had, I was not familiar with Antioch Free Church, but when the, the need arose and it's kind of through some district staff, we started having conversations and I thought, it seems like the Lord is weaving our paths together for a season. How cool is that? What a blessing that is, that God is doing things in me and in my calling. He's doing things here in this church and in your calling, and that he would have us share a path together. That's exciting to me. The Lord knows what he's doing, and so I just want to be on board with that. Absolutely. Well, I would like to pray for Patrick, for our church, um, as we get as we start off this new, new time yeah. together. Thanks, Jay. Dear Father, we do thank you for the day. We thank you for 2023. It is a day that you have made. It is a year of you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And so, Father, first I want to pray for your capital C church, your church around the world, your global church that we are a part of. Father, I pray that you would cause this next year to be a year where it would flourish all the more. I pray, Father, that you would bring hearts of people back to you. For those who are wandering, that they would return. And for those who are far off and who have never known you, that this would be a year where people would come to Christ in numbers that we have not seen. And Father, I pray that you would be merciful here to our local church at Antioch. Father, there are a lot of changes that have been happening. And so, Father, I ask that you would... Um, that you would be merciful to our church and that you would see us through this year well and that, Father, we would not turn inward during this time, that we would not be focused on our own problems, but that you would hold us fast and that our eyes would be fixed on you. Father, help us to set our minds on things above and not on things of this earth. I ask, Father, that this would be a year where we would focus on you and would ask that you would provide kingdom fruitfulness as our mission statement asks for this year. Father, and we pray for Patrick specifically. We ask for him and his family that it would be a fruitful year of ministry for him and that he would be richly rewarded for his efforts, Father. We thank you that he is willing to serve for us and we ask, Father, that we would be blessed as a congregation and that he and his family would be blessed through this. Father, ultimately, be glorified in all we do. We ask these things in the name of our precious Savior, Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, James. Appreciate that. Oh, we're going to let the kids be dismissed. I think my timing is right on that, and let them slip out to, <laughs> uh, slip out to their uh, option that they have right out here in the back, So, and that's um, kindergarten through second grade. Well, Happy New Year, Antioch. Good. I wondered if I'd get a response. <laughs> I do remember hearing Dan Moose saying, I don't ask rhetorical questions. If I ask a question, I want an answer. And I thought about that because then I, I also heard Bryce ask a lot of rhetorical questions and I thought, where am I on the spectrum <laughs> between expecting an answer or a rhetorical question? So, and I think I'm somewhere in between. If you're not sure, go ahead and just shout out an answer and talk to me. And, uh, and I make say, no, 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 that's just rhetorical, that's okay. But we'll get there. We'll figure that out. Man, I'm, I'm so glad to be able to be here with you this morning, and as I was thinking through the new year, which just presents opportunity for me, for you individually, for you as a church, for us as a church, opportunity to, be, you know, to, to say, wow, this year could be different. What does God have around the corner for us? 
Uh, I've thought about that. And what, what is it that we would want to focus on? What is it that I would want to be able to share? And I just thought, you know, if, if there was only one thing I can do with you and for you, it would be this. I would want to point you to Jesus. I know that sounds really simple, but that's, that's really something I mean from, with all my heart. I would want to point you to Jesus and point myself to Christ to learn more about him and to keep him in the center focus of my heart and of my mind. If we could do that, I would be pleased. And so as I wrestled with where should we go as a church, uh, I was really compelled to consider um, Christ and the core of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, it's kind of the core of a collection of Jesus teaching about how we live a life in Christ. What does it look like? How do we live this faith together? And so we're going to take a look and walk through the Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I got to tell you, I'm excited about it. It's a passage, a section of scripture that I just deeply love and that I'm, I'm uh, really looking forward to walking through with you for my own benefit as well as for yours. So we're going to do that together. And as we do, as we come to that section, we see that Matthew wants us to just stop first before we listen to the teaching of Jesus and just see him. Matthew presents Jesus to us in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 through a couple of stories that Jesus experienced that help us to see who he is and what he was all about. I've been giving this a lot of thought, and, and then I also saw uh, Dan Moose. I know Dan a little bit through the district ministries, um, not super well, but we've known each other for a while, and I saw where he preached two months ago from Matthew chapter 3, and he preached on the idea of repent. Do you remember that? From John the Baptist's words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and honestly, I thought, wow, that's a pretty bold move for a church entering a transition period. But the more I thought about it, I thought that is exactly what God's call to us would be. That we would take the time to examine our hearts and make sure that we are completely focused on Jesus. And so as we prepare over the next couple of weeks for the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to actually pick up where Dan left off in Matthew chapter 3. And I want us to look at how Matthew presents Jesus to us. Before we do that, before we open the word, I want to pray. Um, I often will just pray with my hands open like this, and it's, it's partially just as a form of worship. It's, it's an openness to the Lord, an open-handedness. So I would just invite you, if you're comfortable with it, to also just... Open up your hands before the Lord as we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this new day. Zephaniah, uh, is, um, Zephaniah 3 tells us that um, your, your love for us is new every morning. It's new every day. Lord, you have new things in store for us today 
in this year that we haven't experienced yet. So we open our hands to you. We open our hands to know you more, to learn more about you, to give you all of our heart. So Father, as we take a look at this passage in Matthew 3, would you open our hearts to see, open our eyes to see Jesus, that we would appreciate him, love him, and worship him more, that you would prepare our hearts to hear his teaching so that we can follow him fully. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to look at the beginning of Matthew 3, skip a section in the middle, and then look more and focus later at the end of Matthew chapter 3. So we'll begin by reading just the first six verses, and I'll invite you to listen along. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who, has, who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Do you remember how the Old Testament ends? Do you remember the end of the Old Testament? You can cheat if you want to. It's about two pages back from where we are right here. At the end of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And as Malachi ends, we see this little tiny section of God is just kind of preparing them. He gives them a promise. He's preparing them for this period of silence they're about to go to. And God said, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and, power, that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He talks about how he'll return the hearts of fathers to their children and that sort of thing. I'll send you the prophet Elijah. And then that's it. The Old Testament ends. And for the children of Israel, that was it. For hundreds of years, they heard nothing from the Lord, waiting for God to send someone like Elijah. And this is it. John the Baptist comes. He looks like Elijah. He's dressed like him. He's eating like Elijah, living out in the wilderness and preaching a similar message. And he's calling people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is like right here, guys. It's right about to begin. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. To repent means to change direction. It's more than just feeling sorry. Oh, I did something wrong. I feel bad about it. That can be important. It's more than looking at my life and saying, you know, I'm going to just tweak this a little bit or try a little bit harder over here. To repent means to completely change direction. It means I'm going to look at my life the way God sees me and I'm going to agree with God. 
That's what it means to confess my sin. It means I agree with God about my sin, and I'm going to say so. As we see John calling people to repent, because the Messiah was about to walk on the scenes, some people responded positively to that message. It says they're coming out to John, they're responding positively to it, they're confessing their sins, and they were being baptized in the Jordan River. Other people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were just going, well, I don't need to repent. Who are you to tell me that I need to repent? And this is the beginning of the, these guys resisting the work of God. And we see that all through the ministry of Jesus. And they're refusing to repent. And for John, John is like, I think it's more than just, hey, you have a specific thing to repent of. He's calling them to a lifestyle of repentance. A lifestyle of continually turning toward Jesus. And that's the lifestyle that you and I are called to today as well. Repenting isn't just how we're saved, but it's for us because it's how, it's how we live. We're continually repenting because we continually sin. At least I do. Does anybody else here have a sin problem you still battle with? That is not a rhetorical question. <laughs> I'm just curious if I'm the only one. There's about three other people that do. Okay, we do, and so since we're continually like pulled off the rails, pulled off the road toward sin, then we as believers value Jesus so much that we continually repent from our sins and turn to Christ and embrace him and want to walk and live with him. Any of you watch the World Cup? That's a, that's a thing called soccer. It's the other football, the one with the round ball that you just use your feet on, unless you're the goalie or unless you're throwing the ball in, all these rules. I didn't grow up playing soccer at all, but when my kids were little, the Parks and Rec Department would say, we need coaches, we need coaches, and I wanted my kids to play soccer, so I coached my kids when they were little in soccer, so I had to learn a little bit about soccer to do that, and as I watched these little kids playing soccer, which is really fun, by the way. If you ever get a chance to coach a little kid's soccer team, it's well worth it to do it. As you watch these little kids play soccer, you realize some of them are somewhat effective and others are not. <laughs> and the difference often is where a kid keeps his, his awareness. If the kid is aware of where the ball is, especially if they can be aware of where the ball is going, then they can go and and engage with the play and be in the right place at the right time. But there's other kids who just aren't there. (laughs) Their awareness is, my shin guard's falling down again, right? My, My shirt's on backwards, coach, right? They're just like totally stuck in something in them, in their own little self world, or maybe they wanna see if mom is waving to them while they're standing in the grass, They have no idea there's a soccer game being played around them at all. And I think sometimes in the Christian life, I think sometimes we can be a lot like that self-absorbed kid who is not aware of what's going on around us. Because our eyes so easily come onto a thing that I care about 
or that's concerning to me or that's painful to me that's right here and I take my eyes off Jesus. Can you relate to that? And then I have no idea what Jesus is doing. I have no idea who he is. It doesn't direct or guide my life in that moment. And I miss it. And, and when, when I'm looking at myself, when I'm looking at, at the details of my life and the things that are important to me that I care about, then repentance is really hard. Because I care about these things, and, and I might be willing to tweak one thing or say, yeah, this is something that's bad that I do. I should probably do less of it. But it's awfully hard to just repent. But when my eyes are on Jesus, and my affection is on Jesus, then I care a lot less about the little things in my life, and it's so much easier for me to just pursue him. And repentance becomes a lifestyle, because I'm constantly turning to say, I just want to be connected to Christ. I'm the one who turns away, so I'm going to choose to turn back to him every day. And John is calling us to do that and to keep Jesus first and center in our life. So what I want us to do the rest of our time is look at Jesus and see how he's presented to us at the end of John, Matthew chapter 3. See how Jesus is presented. And really what we're going to see is the first thing Jesus did. John 1 and 2 is about the birth of Christ. We have these birth narratives and the baby being born. We just celebrated all that stuff with Christmas. And now Jesus walks on the scene as a grown-up man, ready to begin his ministry. What's the first thing that he did? Well, let's read together. Uh, Verses 13 to 15 in Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. How many of you have ever uh, been baptized yourself? Anybody ever been baptized as an adult? Maybe, maybe you're baptized by an infant, but you ever baptized where you went underwater? All right, how many of you have ever seen a baptism or been to a baptism? All right, so you kind of you have an idea of what baptism is all about. In baptism... You know, a person goes down into the water. Somebody makes a statement about the Trinity, right? I baptize you in the name of? Good, good. And, and then they, they push you down, whether you want to go down in that moment or not. Right? And you go down into the water, under the water. Water covers over you, and then they help you come back up. And it's a picture of a spiritual thing that has happened. When, we, when I was baptized when I was 10 years old, I, I, was, I was putting on display for everybody to see this picture of a spiritual thing that happened, that, that I'm identifying myself with Christ. As he died on the cross, bearing my sins, was buried in the ground, burying my sins forever, 
there's a picture. They're in a river, right? So the water is literally washing over them, and it's this picture of washing our sins away. And then I'm identifying myself with Christ as I, he rose from the dead that I'm given new life in him. Does that make sense? Our baptism is identifying ourselves with Christ. And I saw Jesus getting baptized, and I thought, what was Jesus getting baptized for? What? He didn't have sin. Why was Jesus getting baptized? Well, one, if he's calling us to do something, he's setting an example for us by doing it himself. But I think as Jesus was baptized, he was identifying himself with us. He was painting the same picture that he had come in order to die, be buried, and raise again from the dead, bearing our sins and putting them to death forever so that we could be free and have new life. That's amazing to me that Jesus would come and so so associate with us that he would put on display for everybody to see exactly what our sins were going to do to him so that we could later have the privilege of associating with him. I think that's awesome. Jesus was actively stepping into our shoes so that we could someday step into his. Now, Jesus tells John, we're going to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. Man, think about the world around us today. We live in a world that is filled with unrighteousness. We live in a world with all kinds of mess and problems. There's sin in the world. There's sickness and disease. Isn't that great? It's awful. The world is a mess. We live in a world with war. There's a, there's a war in, in uh, Eastern Europe. We're just kind of watching it going, well, what is that going to mean? Well, how is it for them? How awful is it there? What's that going to mean for the rest of the world? We live in a world with strife and conflict in our neighborhoods and communities. We live in a world with strife and, and, and pain in our own families. All kinds of unrighteousness around us. And everybody seems to think they have the answer. The government seems to think they have the answer to all the unrighteousness in the world. It's pretty simple if you boil it down. We'll, we'll throw more money at it. And somehow, magically, it'll make everything better. Politicians seem to think they have the answer. Just vote for the right person. And somehow, everything will be great. Isn't it funny how the world's answer to unrighteousness always involves people getting more money and power so that they can fix things? And then here comes Jesus, and Matthew presents Jesus coming up saying, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. Did Jesus do something to get him more money or more power he put on display the path of humility that led to the gospel. That he would lay aside 
right? It's Philippians 2. He didn't consider his equality with God something to be grasped, but was made like us in human likeness. He became a servant of us and even became obedient unto death so that he could do away with our sins. The, the glory of Jesus laid aside for a path of humility to open up the gospel for us. That was his way of fulfilling all righteousness. It blows my mind, but as a believer, I'm so thankful because I understand what it's like to receive the gospel. And I'm thankful for what he did. John's Jesus' baptism demonstrated the gospel for us, and, and it pointed to Jesus. I want you to hear this morning, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. Hear his ancestors crying out, this is Jesus. If you flip back one page, Matthew begins with a genealogy, and you see from kings to the most humble people, all his ancestors saying, one's going to come, and this is Jesus. Listen to the prophets who Matthew has been quoting through the birth narratives, saying, from the Old Testament times, one is going to come, this is Jesus. Look at him. Listen to the angels who were showing up, showing up to Joseph, saying, nope, this is God's plan. Go along with it, Joseph. It's going to be okay. The angels crying out and pointing to him, this is Jesus. Listen to the wise men who traveled from who knows where, and they're like, we're not even sure what's going on, but we know one thing, this is Jesus. There's something about this baby, we were told we're, we're giving him gifts. Listen to John the Baptist. Now, he doesn't say it in Matthew, but in John chapter 1, he actually says, I don't even know him very well, but... Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is showing us through his baptism, this is Jesus. The one who would come and bring the gospel to us through his humility. Well, I've thought about this. This whole thing that Christ was embarking on, this mission, this ministry that would lead him through such paths of humility, path of suffering, and lead to his death for us. And I thought, what did, the, what did God think about that? What did God think about what Jesus was starting on? And by God, we know that God is triune God. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what did the Father and the Holy Spirit think of this path Jesus was going to go on? Think about it. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit that is holy, without sin, completely set apart from all of, of humanity and all of our struggles. What did he think about Jesus coming to be Emmanuel, to live with us, and to take our sin upon himself? Or what would the Father, who is in heaven, holy, be your name? What is the Holy Father in his holiness? Think about Jesus coming to live in a sin-saturated world as a man. 
I wondered about that. And as I saw that, Jesus' baptism happened, the answer is right here in the text. How did God feel about what was happening? As we look at the last two verses in Matthew chapter 3, listen to what it says. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son. I should have a deeper voice when I say that. I don't have a good deep voice. This is like James Earl Jones' voice or something. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That's what the Father and the Holy Spirit thought of Jesus. We see the whole Trinity in one place at one time in a way people could see. That's rare. Jesus was there. You could have walked up and grabbed his arm. The Holy Spirit, you can see him descending on Jesus like a dove. The the Father's voice is present. What would bring the whole Trinity together in a way that we could see them all actively engaged? There's one thing that would do that. It's the gospel. God's plan to save you and me was so precious to him, they all hands on deck came together to put that on display. You think about what the Holy Spirit, uh, what he was saying by descending as a dove. A dove is a symbol for peace, a symbol for peace. Like, here's Jesus coming up out of the water, displaying what he's going to do to bring salvation to us, And upon him is the peace of God. Total peace. Total peace. God is totally at peace with what Jesus was doing. The Holy Spirit. And and the Father saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And here is Jesus dripping wet in the middle of the river, complete, literally covered with the peace of God and the love of God. And all of God saying, we're doing this for you. To redeem you from your sin and bring you home. Wow. How would it feel to be so wrapped up in the peace of God and in the love of God? We kind of know how it feels because when we're in Christ... That's our experience. That the Holy Spirit came to live within us and bring us peace that goes beyond understanding. And the Father's love for the Son is upon us as well. What an awesome privilege. There's really one other time in which we see the whole Trinity coming and banding together to make a statement. And it's a statement about the same thing about the salvation that God brought to us. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. It says, We've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work, the holifying, holiness work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient 
to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. All three members of the Trinity working together for your salvation and mine. That we would be fit for the kingdom of God. This is Jesus. This is how Matthew presents him to us. And this is the Jesus that we look to, who in a few weeks we'll look to see what he said and had to teach us about living in the kingdom of God. And so I, I hope that taking time to focus on who Jesus is and what he did will help prepare our hearts to hear what he said about how we can live a remarkably different life as we follow him by faith.